0: This is the Girly Men Podcast. My name's Mike Gurley, and I'm the host and founder of girlymen.com, a community of gay men and anyone self-identified as the other designed to help you own your personal dignity, strengthen your connection to your chosen families, and thrive in general society. Today's guest is Dr. Don Kilhefner. I wanted to interview Don because his name and accomplishments show up nearly every time I do work on elevating gay male experience. He's simply a living icon of gay activism. In his 80s, he is still a dynamic force in the gay community, and as you will hear in this episode, it's a community he considers his family. Mr. Kelhafner has a remarkable amount of energy, vision, experience, and wisdom he generously offers to me and everybody else um, in his family on a daily basis. That includes you. Because of the COVID-19 threat, this episode was done over Zoom, so you'll notice some sound quality issues. I ask that you focus on the content and forgive the sound quality. I hope that you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed having the dialogue uh, with Dr. Kill Hefner. And now, on to the episode. The moment you realized you were a gay man, you were forced onto the path of the other, so you know oppression inside and out. The calling of otherness has led you on your own hero's journey, and that journey has prepared you for greatness. You are a man answering the call to brotherhood, to conscious sex, and to heart-centered connection welcome home brother welcome to the podcast today i have a very special guest dr don Kilhefner. i've been a fan of his um ever since i first heard about his stuff and started reading about all the things he does i saw him at a conference and uh have followed him ever since at the end of the episode we're going to have ways to uh, contact don all of those links are in the show notes so please look for that. And I think, and as of today, Don is al- also available on Instagram, on top of all the other places you would expect up until now. I just want to read a few things that I found out about Don online. And I didn't know that, Don you were in an Amish Mennonite community um, until you were 17. I grew up Mormon, so I kind of identified with that. Other random bits of information. Don was in the first group to serve in the United States Peace Corps. He has a PhD in union psychology. He claims, as I do, that gays have a different consciousness than heterosexuals, created the the center, a 24-hour gay hotline, uh, the first in the nation that was publicly listed, co-founded the Venice Recovery House, was very active in the gay liberation front in 69 and 70 in 1970 don also did this amazing thing uh announced a campaign where 479 gays agreed to relocate to alpine county in northern california in order to create quote a refuge where homosexuals can live without harassment my uh, geeky boyfriend did some inve- investigation into that and found out that the alpine county board of supervisors held an emergency meeting to discuss the issue. And in 2008, Alpine County, along with the neighboring Inyo County, were the only two inland counties to vote against Prop 8. That's the way we wanted people to vote on Prop 8 that withdrew uh, marriage equality from California same sex couples. Anyway, onward, um, 1971, he helped organize the Biltmore Rebellion, an act of the Gay Liberation Front where 35 members infiltrated the International Psychologists and Psychiatric Conference because one of the protesters was going to um, talk about curing homosexual uh, se- sexuality he's a founding member and spiritual counterculture movement the radical fairies is, is something else that you, you got started founder of the la community services center which is now the los angeles uh, lgbt center you i think you founded and are still very active in the gay elder circle and that's so much stuff and we're not even going to talk about that stuff we're going to talk about other stuff <laughs> And um, anyway, Don, welcome, welcome to the girly Men podcast. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I'm glad to be of help. And I've always liked you and admired the work that you have done
0: in West Hollywood. Well, thank you, sir. It's a real pleasure to have you here. So you have this huge biography. Let's just pull all that back for a second and just like, who's Don Hefner When we ask you, um, that was me asking Wikipedia and academia, how do you see yourself? Well,
1: it depends on the stage of my life that you're talking about. Mm. Uh, When I was, let's say, before I was 21, I would consider myself lost. Mm. Then the Peace Corps opened me up to a much larger view of myself, and I became, at that time, a world citizen. Uh And then black liberation in this country Led me to get a master's degree at Howard University. And then I began to, be, to develop black consciousness and the understanding of the history of black people in this country. And then gay liberation came along while I was working on a doctorate at UCLA. And it, that became my life. And for the last 51 years, I have been focusing on uh, the well being of gay men and lesbians and others. And the welfare of the gay community. So it depends. At some stages in my life, I was a warrior. Some stages in my life, I was the healer. Some stages in my life, I am the elder, such as right now, a uh, gay tribal elder. So it depends on the stage of my life. Uh, but I'm at a point that when I go out the exit door, I'm going to have a smile on my face because okay. I, I, I truly think I used this lifetime wisely and didn't waste too much time, wasted a little, but <laughs> didn't waste too much time on uh, distractions.
0: That's what I see. Did that and confuse you? Did my answer confuse you? That, that, uh, no, actually, I'm really excited about that because of all the things we could talk to you about, I, I really want to talk about like our age you know delineated roles in in the tribe that you wrote about in uh gay adults gay adults uh where are you yeah an article that
1: appeared in white crane journal in the summer of uh 2010 yeah uh, and i've i've had hundreds of responses to that article from all over the world it surprised me that it spoke so clearly to gay men
0: yeah it it, it really did and um before we get uh, move on to that, I just wanted to talk about that introduction and all those stages in your life, and those are all um, bricks in the foundation that I stand on. And I really want to thank you for creating such a solid platform for me to do my work on. And so, so thank you, thank you, Don, thank you, sir, very much for that. As I, I turned fifty five uh, two days ago, it Happy was all- birthday! Thank you. Um, it is-
1: You're not eligible for membership in the gay elder circle.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I, so that's, that's a huge momentous thing. It also marked my official uh, first day of retirement from my West Hollywood City Hall job. And because of the article that you wrote and the, your modeling your life, um, I feel like I have a lot of exciting times ahead of me. Um- what was it in that article that
1: spoke to you? What what was it that
0: spoke to you? It spoke to me that there's not one way to live, that our job is different based on our age. And I was at an age where I was adult at the time, and I didn't realize I was the one doing all the heavy lifting. (laughs) I didn't realize I had such a responsibility. And I I think it's helpful. My partner, my boyfriend of three years, he is smack dab in the middle of his adulthood. He's 38. And uh, when I shared with him the insights I got from that article, his eyes really opened up. And I think that he really took on his responsibility as, um, as a leader in the community, as an active leader. Uh, that's actually doing the lifting and he works in local government as well. So just having that understanding, I think made him, it made it possible for him to feel more powerful in the work that he does and to be more useful. And that's part of what, you know, it spoke to me too. And I also had another elder when I did a sweat lodge once talk about the differences in age and he's explained how elders shouldn't be trying to be youth and youth shouldn't try to be elders. (laughs) And that was news to me also. So... You know
1: how the article came into being? Was in 2004, I was central to organizing a sold-out conference here in Los Angeles entitled Standing on the Bones of Our Ancestors, Exploring the Role of the Gay and Lesbian Elder. And it was on a Saturday at the Gay and Lesbian Center. And the next day, um, Bishop Bruno uh, was hosting a birthday, an 80th birthday party for Malcolm Boyd, and I was there. And a young man came up to me who was at the conference the day before. And he said to me, that was amazing yesterday because I heard you talking about a gay, el- a gay adult. And I had never in my life heard about a gay adult. And I thought he was putting me on. I thought there was a little gay guerrilla theater going on. He said, I've always heard younger gays and older gays. And I never heard the idea that life is divided into four stages. Youth, adult, elder, ancestor. And uh, it shook me to my roots because I realized that something was missing in the gay community. A certain consciousness was missing. That these adults were needed and they weren't available. And our community suffered as a result of that. And so the article, Gay Adults, Gay Adults, Where Are You?, came out of that conversation I had with a young man, a bright young man who makes uh, uh, reports for NPR on environmental issues. So oh, a very wow. informed, bright gay man. But he said, I never realized there was a gay adult stage of this.
0: Yeah, and it's the same. I feel the same way. I, I'm rethinking my, the idea that West Hollywood should be called Boys Town because I think isn't that amazing? Yeah,
1: isn't that amazing
0: that that uh, and
1: people take great pride in that. Yeah, that we haven't grown up yet.
0: Yeah, that's that's the what I have a problem with it now is I, I believe in in what I want to call like exclusive space. Like I believe in lesbian space and gay men space and and, you know, like smaller places. And then we all come together in a tribe like at, at Pride and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We're all one family. But yeah, Boys Town is, we're kind of stuck in the boy energy. But there is a lot of boy energy on that street.
1: <laughs> what we need is not more boy energy. What we need is more man energy.
0: I, I, I agree. I agree. So We are overabundant in boy energy. Can, can you we talk are it? scarce when it comes to man energy. Yeah, could you talk about the differences, maybe just into those two things? Uh, what would you consider the differences? What are examples of boy energy and what are examples of man well, energy? Well, the process is a
1: process of maturation. Mm-hmm. A boy is a uh, early development maturation. A man is a later development of maturation. And then the wise old man is a third stage of maturation mm-hmm. so that a, a boy... Energy would be one of the central organizing principles of youth is having fun and playing. And as you might have noticed, in the gay community, there's a party every other day. There's a dance party every weekend. That we are not a people who are a party or dance party deprived people. But much of our community has revolved around that particularly the organized gay community, is about having fun. Uh, Man's psychology would be a more assuming responsibility for something larger than themselves. One of the central organizing principles of youth is they're they're self-absorbed. And and it's beautiful to be around it if you don't have to be around it too long, that narcissism. (laughs) But it's very very me-me-me oriented. Yes. When we make that transition into adulthood, we begin. the central organizing principle is more assuming something for larger than oneself. For example, where I grew up in, in rural Pennsylvania, uh, uh, somebody between 30 and 55, an adult stage, would be volunteering on the volunteer fire department, would be helping to organize their community library would be focusing on a recreation center for the young people because none existed. You get it? Yeah, yeah. Taking care of oneself and also something larger than oneself. So that's one of the big differences between uh, boy psychology or the boy stage of growth and the uh, more man psychology is something larger than yourself. And as you probably have found out, yeah. that many times with
0: gay men, all they talk about is me me, me, me. Yeah, so that's the difference thats between boy energy and man energy. Um, uh, and wise so, old man energy. And wise old man energy, so what is that? And, and what are their roles? So you've done like the boy uh, stuff, the man stuff, so then you said the wise elder energy, what is that? Uh,
1: an elder is somebody who tends to the spiritual well-being of the community. His own well-being, the well-being of something larger than himself, and the well-being seven generations yet to come. So it's a, mm. different, it's a yeah. different kind of role. Carl Jung, who influenced me greatly, mm-hmm. Carl Jung defined the elder as the spiritual mother and the spiritual father. So it's a spiritual role. The adult is more a tends to the material needs of the community, mentoring the young, for example. and youth is the future of the community. That has to be nurtured and supported and encouraged uh, and having expectations of in any way we can.
0: So in our very secular tribe, what advice would you give to me as a brand new elder on touching the spiritual needs of our community? How do we handle that tricky phrase?
1: I'll, I'll answer that, but first I'd like to ask you, as someone who's 55, Mm -hmm. now entering the third act of your life where you are in the process of becoming a gay elder, what are you seeing in the community as a spiritual need?
0: Ah, well, that's why there's this podcast. I see a spiritual need to move from independence. You talked about that me, me, me into interdependence. And that takes trust and love. And I want us to go from being just what I call having crotch based connections to having heart based heart centered connections and having a heart centered connection, looking into another man's eyes and dropping our shields and just allowing ourselves to be seen and to see that other man. That's a spiritual connection for me. That's what I do in my yoga classes that I teach. And that's what, Spirituality is for me. I really do lean on yoga and Hindu Buddhist philosophies that I learned through yoga, which is, and and for me, that there is a spiritual perfection inside of all of us, and it doesn't need to be created. We just need to drop the things that aren't that. And so my role, my goal is to help men uh, with the tools of dropping those things that aren't serving them. And then tapping into their divine wisdom inside themselves. Part Absolutely of the, said. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, no, you got it. Okay. <laughs> and now
1: you have to let that age. You let you let that develop, and by the time you're 65, mm-hmm. it'll be deeper. By the time you're 75, it'll be even deeper yet. And by the time you're 85, it'll be very deep. Mm. Get it? It's really, you have the spiritual instinct in you.
0: Thank you. And one
1: of the things our community needs desperately is that kind of spiritual Mm
0: guidance.
1: Our religious institutions, my experiences, they're all uh, operated under the principle of hetero supremacy. Mm -hmm. That somehow you and I are a mistake. They say it in different ways, but Basically, that's the bottom, bottom line. But there is a spiritual need in our community, especially with young people. For example, just this morning, uh, I was working with a 21-year-old young gay man in St. Louis who has a gift, has a shamanic gift. And something had come up, crisis in his life. And we were dealing with that shamanically, which he's able to do. And it was a big help to him. Mm-hmm. If he had been encountered by a conventional religious person or a conventional psychotherapist, they probably would have said he needs to be locked up in no medication. didn't need to be locked up in no medication. He's having a spiritual experience. And there needs to be people in the community who can understand that and see that and yeah. help these young people in terms of their spiritual development. And adults, helping them in the development of of their spiritual development. You know, for many, many years here in Los Angeles, I uh, conducted a year-long workshop entitled Father Hunger, The Union of the Son of Promise with the Father of Achievement, helping late teenagers and 20-somethings make that transition from youth into the first stage of adulthood. And much of that work was helping them develop not only a physical manifestation, in the community, but also a spiritual manifestation in the community. At one of the workshops, at the end of it, I always asked what worked and didn't work. And one young man raised his hand and said, I now have a roadmap of how my life might unfold. And I never had a roadmap before. Nobody ever told me what this life might be about get yeah. And that's a spiritual role that we're playing. Mm. It's not about shaking tambourines in a church though. <laughs> although that can be fun, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's about helping these people, helping young people, helping adults, helping elders, making, uh, uh, developing a more spiritual, spirit-directed life for themselves. Uh, and we live in one of the most material cultures the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Many times we don't realize this, that what we're living in is in the middle of a giant amazon.com. Yeah. Material, buy me, buy me, buy me now. Mm-hmm. We hear around the clock, seven days a week.
0: I was going to ask you where you see uh, examples of spirituality in the queer community. I think that the... Established institutions are obvious. Uh, my very first guest, uh, the second episode in Gurleyman, which is already out there, is Sister Unity from uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And, you know, I come out of the fetish leather scene and I saw them blessing, you know, events and contests. And it's very funny and, and clown-like, but it's also serious and real and a real blessing, can you talk about where, where you see spiritual energy? Um, would you say it's like, what about the radical fairies? To me, from the outside, they seem spiritual to me.
1: Uh, that, was, that was part of the original call to gay men back in 1979 when Harry, Hay and I uh, sent out the original call for the radical fairy. There were three things that we said we wanted to discuss. One was breakthroughs in gay consciousness. So the radical fairies are about gay consciousness. The second one was the gay visions. What are we envisioning for the future for ourselves? And the third one was the spiritual dimension of being gay. And we thought maybe 25, 30, not more than 50 people would show up. And 220 gay men from all over North America showed up at this ashram out in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. Uh, And we had an exciting three days together. And out of that, it spread throughout the world. But at its base, it had two things. One is a spiritual dimension. And the second one is helping gay people to get beyond the myth of the homosexual. That somehow who we are, our sex act. We've been reduced by heterosexual supremacists to a sex act for centuries and centuries. And it's the my contention, and Harry's contention, and the early radical fairies were working, is the fact that we are contributing something to society, contributing something to human evolution that makes our presence in this world important, substantial. There's a purpose to us being here.
0: Yeah, can you speak a little more to that? Um, you know, one of my questions is, do you believe that queer people, especially gay, people have special gifts?
1: I would would say it this way. There is something that gay people are contributing to society. And the next wave of gay liberation, queer liberation, is to delineate that more clearly, what that contribution is. We know from evolutionary biology that a trait is not passed from one generation to the next generation to the next generation over a long period of time unless that trait is contributing to the evolution of that species. So as uh, long as we've had written records, uh, cuneiform, hieroglyphics, uh, 4000 BC, uh, gay people have been present. So what is it that has us keep reappearing, reappearing millennia after millennia? while our oppressors go down what I call the drainpipe of history. So what is it that we're contributing mm-hmm. to this society? E.O. Wilson, an evolutionary biologist at Harvard, uh, one of the deans of American uh, science in this country, world famous for its research, says, quote, homosexuals may be the rare carriers of the altruistic impulse in the human species. He's not talking about which of did you stick it in. He's saying, we may be the rare carriers of the altruistic impulse in the human species. Altruism means idealism. That's a spiritual concept,
0: idealism. Are you with me? I am totally with you. I was making a note of that. We're gonna chapter that in the um. It it appears in a book
1: uh, called On Human Nature by E.O. Wilson. Uh, there's a chapter on homosexuality. Joan Roughgarden, uh, who teaches at a woman who teaches at Stanford in evolutionary biology, mm-hmm. who has written an important book called Evolution's Rainbow, that talks about people like us. She says, from studying us, not only humans but uh, in in the animal kingdom broadly, we carry the cooperative principle. The cooperative principle. Again, she's she's not saying defining us as a sex act. She's defining us saying that we're doing something spiritual. That we're doing yeah. something that's if heterosexuals their purpose is the reproductive survival of our species, and they do a good job of that. Yeah. yeah. good a job. Yeah. What is the purpose of gay people? Let me let me make it clear. I am not anti-sex. I'm pro-sex. <laughs> I'm a sexual liberationist. Yeah. But it, it really does boil down to the tail is wagging the dog. And we need to pay more attention to the dog than the wagging tail.
0: Yeah. And, and you're saying the, the tail is the sex that we have is wailing the wagging the dog, which is this whole other very juicy, expansive, talented part of ourselves. And we're ignoring all that. If we focus on the sex. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree uh, with all of that. And it is interesting. I think altruism is associated with youth, though, isn't it? So and and I think that's what happens when we get older. And especially with the uh, trials and tribulations that queer people face, we lose our altruism. But maybe not to the degree that. No,
1: no, we do it. We do it whether or not we understand. or do. It's kind of like gravity. It doesn't matter whether you believe in gravity or not. It's yeah. working. It doesn't matter yeah. whether you believe in a theory or an idea that we are contributing to society in a certain way. We do it anyways. <laughs> we do it anyways. We're doing it as teachers, uh, psychotherapists. Uh, uh-huh. and,
0: and by the way, I I've used your term to hetero supremacy because I just loved it when I saw you write about it. Can you talk a little bit about that for the listeners? One one Uh, of the,
1: I think, mistakes that happened with gay liberation in the early 70s, the word homophobia was used, was developed to describe our oppression. And homophobia is a psychological word. It literally means uh, fear of the same. And it said heterosexuals are homophobic, meaning they're just scared of us, and if they had Twelve sessions of CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, it would go away. It's not true. <laughs> there is, has been historically, a systematic and destructive violence against gay people by hetero supremacists, saying they are superior. It is similar to white supremacy as far as people of color are concerned. It's similar to male supremacy as far as women are concerned. Mm -hmm. and heterospective supremacy as far as gay men are concerned. And that's a political term. It's not a psychological term. I've written an essay on, we need to bury the word homophobia.
0: I have uh, used it as little as possible ever since I, I read that and understood that. And so thank you for bringing that. I think the conversation of heterosupremacy, it dovetails with privilege. And being a white man, I have tons of privilege uh, in me and at least now I, it's been a whole evolution for me to understand I don't understand how much privilege I have <laughs> and um, I just wonder if like supremacy I don't know as a if white heter-
1: man there, as a white man you have privilege
0: yes as a gay man you do not have
1: privilege
0: right so I can I can see things both ways I can code switch or uh, that's
1: why the word intersectionality has been coined in political work today, meaning that somebody can be the oppressor and the oppressed at the same time.
0: Yes, absolutely. Intersectionality. And um, yeah, that that's fascinating. Um, I think um, on our side, on the left, that's something that we need to look at very, very carefully, because sometimes we can be blind to the needs of our own group, which brings up um, an idea of mine, maybe a little Controversial, but you know, you started the Gay and Lesbian Center, or you did. Or the what was it called when you started it? A gay Community Services. The Gay Community Services Center, and uh, now we have the you know the LGBT uh, Center. It's it's beautiful. I was so proud of it. I had my father and mother, um, who are uh, very much into service in their religion. Um, I have a really great relationship with them. Uh, they were very impressed by the Gay and Lesbian Center. But I would say this is for men, especially adult men, the way that you describe them, there is almost nothing to do at the center (laughs) unless you have AIDS (laughs) or an STD. One
1: one of the ways that the center has changed over the last 50 years, the evolution of the center, Uh, when Mark Kite and I in 1970 first began to envision a community center. It had two primary purposes. One was to provide services to gay and lesbian people that existed nowhere. And secondly, it was to create a community, to create a center around which a community could develop. That there was no gay community in 1970,
0: right?
1: 71, yeah. uh, they didn't exist. There were a few organizations here and there. There was an MCC church, but there was no sense of community where we assume responsibility for each other. And so one of the big breakthroughs for gay liberation here in L.A. was that breakthrough, developing the idea of community and we're responsible for each other. The early center was grassroots in its orientation. So it involved a lot of participation. Hundreds and hundreds of people there all day long as the center developed and became more professional, had more money available. to It it became more institutional and social work oriented, providing to clients rather than a community center around which people could get involved. I praise the fact that they're now operating on a budget of 147.5 million dollars. With 700 employees. Yes. Uh, we couldn't even have envisioned anything like that in
0: 1970. And, yeah. And, and but I said, th- it's yeah. lost its grassroots role. And I do believe that, like I said, I'm very proud of, of the center and what it's done. And I've done five AIDS life cycles to raise you know, money, and, um, and I still will support it and, and all of that. But there's nothing for me to do there. And And I think the way we got here is we had the plague of AIDS and all that, and then we have you know people you know living on the streets. Our kids are on the streets, we got them off the streets. you know, trans people have a lot of needs that go be that are actually just life needs. And all of that's happening. but I think we kind of got stuck there and I want to get back to that where there non-gay people in the LGBTQ community like to point that gay men are just basically, What you see on West Hollywood Boulevard, young guys partying all the time and not doing much more than that. And I would like to see more opportunities for gay men to do things at the center, whether that's writing classes or game nights or uh, lecture series, all those kinds of things. And I just it's just not on the calendar right now. And I'll be poking that bear.
1: My understanding at this point is a lot of that is already there.
0: I, it's uh, not on the yeah book
1: clubs. Uh, a lot of the things you were talking about need it. It's already there,
0: but they're not specifically for gay men, you know. And the the calendar is just it, it's rough. I've done the Mankind Project thanks to your <laughs> uh, endorsing it, and it has been wonderful. And some of the other guys, though, in their thirties and early forties in my group are finding it hard to find places to hang out with other men their age that's not a bar or a dance club. And well, that's
1: that's the challenge of your generation.
0: Yeah, It's yeah. not
1: about going back
0: to something. We
1: don't do that. No. It's about moving it forward. And what is your generation going to do in terms of creating yeah. something to meet the needs of your generation? <laughs> to point a finger at something and say, you should be doing it. No, it won't work. You... Yeah. Your generation needs to do that in terms of creating the new needs of the community. That's what elders and adults, particularly adults, are for. They you need know. to see what the community needs right now and address that.
0: Thank you. And, and thank you for pointing out that it's not something that we just complain about at the bar or on the street or on your podcast <laughs> and then hope that it's handed down from the top. It's something that we work on and we put some Grassroots. effort in. Grassroots. Yes. on the bottom up yes
1: that's um, why the center is there that's why a community is there from yes. the bottom up
0: yeah and and i know if i engage that will happen i just felt compelled to do that to complain to my elder um can you expand much on the Jungian masculine ar- archetypes the king lover warrior magician do you spend much time thinking about that or whatever. It's a big, well, do- you know, I, I, uh,
1: I do have a PhD in Jungian psychology. Yes.
0: <laughs> and, um, well, I see, I didn't know if this was a big part of what he did or just this little piece that we pulled out, you know, for my men's group to help us. It's a little
1: piece you pulled out for your men's group. <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: okay. That book
1: is an important book. Don't get me wrong. Okay. The more um, the, the Gillette book. Yes. Uh, the four archetypes. Yes. Um, discovering the Four Archetypes of the Mature Masculine is an important book. My only concern about how it's being used is if people think it's like, I don't know, going to the cafeteria and selecting an archetype. Ah. Uh, I think I'll be the king. I think I'll be the warrior. It doesn't work that way. The archetype finds you. And usually, in my case, you can tell that there were certain kinds of archetypal forces that were working on me that were, weren't working on my brothers and sisters in my family.
0: Okay. Uh, it,
1: uh, I didn't want to play kick the can. <laughs> I wanted to go walking in the forest. Mm. I love listening to the forest. Yeah. I love being with the animals in the forest. From a very early age, I was listening to something different. A certain kind of archetype came and guided my life in a way that at some point in my life, maybe in age 40, I could say, oh, it's blank archetype. Okay. The warrior is not moving me. The wise old man is now a, an archetype that is guiding my life. So okay. we don't select the archetype. The archetype selects
0: us. Okay. I was looking at the archetypes and again, king, lover, warrior, magician and also like masculine, feminine although I have troubles with the both of those words. <laughs> what, what, do
1: you have, what, what do you have? What's the problem with both
0: of those words? Oh, I just think that masculinity has been twisted into something what's masculine and feminine has been twisted into like strong is masculine and weak is feminine. And that's just not true to me. There's like, you know, lots of like Germany even has all these giant, like on top of the Brandenburg gate and the Sigasal and all that. It's all these powerful women, very strong women. Uh, What I mean is I think in current culture, we've redefined them into something that isn't true. And masculine has become, accepted masculinity is uh, this toxic archetype and that it's a construct that somehow yielding is not masculine and.
1: What, what you need to do, I, I would humbly suggest, is in a culture that has male supremacy. Yes. Uh, what we need to be careful. First of all, sex is either male or female and a very, very small percentage of intersex people. But basically, that's sex. Gender uh, can be masculine or feminine, but it can be much more than that. Among the Navajo, there are four genders. Among the Blackfeet Indian, there are seven genders. You get it? So gender is what a society defines gender as being. If you were among the Navajo, someone like you would be called, in the Navajo language would be called, men not made for war. Mm. Men That's, not made for war. How do you like that? I love that. That describes me perfectly. It describes me perfectly <laughs> too. <laughs> you got it? They have four yeah. genders. Uh, lesbians are called, in their language, women who hunt for rabbits. Women who hunt for rabbits, because only men do the hunting for rabbits?
0: Oh wow! And
1: those are not negative terms. They're just saying there are some people not made for war. There yeah. are some people who uh, hunt for rabbits. Women who hunt for rabbits.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a
1: gender role. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about the masculine and feminine principle psychologically, uh, it is in uh, in every man and in every woman is the masculine feminine yin and yang, as we said in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Asian cultures. Yin and yang is in all of us. The yin principle, the feminine principle, being a receptive principle that goes deep. The masculine, the yang principle is an active principle that goes out into the world. And there's lots of other differences there. You see, so you have to be a little careful
0: I think I would prefer using yin yang to because I'm not culturally attached to it as much as masculine feminine, <laughs> because there's so much cultural baggage attached to that now. Yeah, but don't
1: lose your intelli- don't use your uh, intellectual life. just because the herd is doing that doesn't mean you have to do it. Yeah, you can have an intellect that knows what it means to have to work with the masculine feminine principle to know what gender means, and yes. gender can mean lots of things depending on your society. And knowing what sex means it's well, usually binary.
0: And, and that's when I, get, when I get to the Jungian archetypes, you know, king, lover, warrior, magician, and then add the masculine feminine. That does give me a matrix to work in because I usually feel like I spent a lot of time in my professional life as like a magician warrior. And now I see myself as trying to be a sovereign lover with a very feminine support. It's the way I use the archetypes to kind of like sense of like, it helps me find where I am in the world. And when I'm having some issues, I realize I might be too heavily invested in an archetype. For example, the boundaries are defended by the warrior. And if I'm not using my warrior enough to keep my boundaries, I, I can't keep pursuing my goals because I let myself be distracted by somebody who's crossing a boundary and I'm letting them and then they're sucking up all my time and energy. And if I hold that boundary with that warrior energy, then I can go back to doing my sovereign lover thing that I want to be doing right now.
1: It's usually one archetype at a time. Okay. guiding our life. Not okay. many archetypes. Usually an archetype is and, guiding our life at a particular. Okay. Uh, Specific time in our life.
0: And would you say that's like uh, seasonal as opposed in, in your life, seasonal when those archetypes change from one to the other?
1: I would say prior to 19, maybe 25, the youth archetype was guiding my life. Then when gay liberation came, even before that, the anti war movement, the warrior. Started guiding my life. I, I was fighting back, not in an ego battle, but fighting back for justice around me. Mm-hmm. And then when I entered maybe about my late 30s, 40s, 50s, the wounded healer archetype became uh-huh. much more important. Okay. He who heals because he is wounded. she who heals because she is wounded. And then as I entered my 70s and 80s, the spiritual father, The wise old man became an archetype that was guiding me more. So Mm. it depends on the period in your life. At some periods, especially for a young person, the hero, the archetype of the hero is very important. Luke Skywalker is a young man. He needs the hero archetype. But when you get to be 50, if you're still using the uh, hero archetype, it's it's not appropriate for a Uh, 50-year-old. That's something that's connected to youth.
0: Yeah, speaking of that, the hero archetype or the hero's journey, I, for me, I, I was able to retell my own story as a hero's journey rather than a sad victim's story. You know, it's the same set of facts, but my early coming out and moving along and dealing with AIDS that all happened before I was 35, I like to reflect on that as a, as a hero's journey that gives me strength. To, to move forward. I think that's where I learned resilience. That's where I learned who my tribe is and my family is and all of that. So w- when you talk about the the hero archetype, do, I mean, do you see that being a useful thing?
1: Uh, the way I work with it, and for example, in the father hunger groups I, I have done with young gay men, again, uh, largely 20-somethings, uh-huh. is the hero does a heroic task. That's why it's called a hero. There's something where there's a heroic task. Uh, Luke Skywalker, at a Jedi Knight, had a heroic task. He had to do so. And so one in the Father Hunger Group, I try to help young
0: gay men find
1: out what the heroic task was.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. So for some, it's um, getting a
1: PhD, which a couple of them did. For somebody else, it might be getting off heroin. For somebody else, it might be opening their own auto garage. So the hero archetype is connected to doing something heroic.
0: I really love that.
1: Have you feel like you've done something heroic in your early life?
0: Yes. I feel like I had, um, well, first I feel like I had a mentor when I was very young, an older man. Good. But then, yeah, I left my town when I was 20 years old, and I left Pocatello, Idaho to be a ballet dancer in San Diego. Uh, you were following
1: something larger than yourself. Yes. Yes. I love that.
0: Yeah. And then I became HIV positive in 1987, and I became part of the protests and the movement and all of that. So That was a heroic
1: task you engaged, staying yeah. alive when yes. others were dying around you.
0: Yeah, and tending to the wounded, and the dying, and the dead, and and all of that, and that's what happened for me. And my. It mind. sounds to me like you've engaged
1: in heroic tasks
0: in <laughs> early life. Well, thank you. I, I did hear a calling, and I did follow it, and I'm way, I'm so much better for it than if I had just stayed in uh, Pocatello, Idaho. Um, no offense to all the people who stayed <laughs> there. No,
1: you had to venture out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, many
1: people stayed in Yeah, That's not a criticism. Yeah. But your fate,
0: your heroic fate, was you had to uh, venture out into the unknown world. And yeah. So let me ask you the three questions I ask every guest. The first one is, how do you invest in your own dignity? Some people are are stumped by this. I'm afraid that you need a couple hours. Well, I'm
1: stumped by it. You have to do worthy things. Ah. Uh, self-worth. Dignity is based on living a worthy life, doing worthy things. Mm -hmm. That's That's a simple answer.
0: That that is awesome. So then um, how do you um, identify and invest in your chosen family, whether that includes your bio family or not? How do you identify the people that visit you in the hospital and will uh, handle your death ritual, whatever that is? Um, that's one way I describe family. And you know, how do you invest in those relationships? I,
1: I would say one of the archetypes that
0: has guided
1: my life has been the archetype of the wounded healer, the shaman archetype. Uh-huh. And so I see my family, and this is not grandiose what I'm saying. I see my family as a gay community. Men and women in the gay community. That's my family. They might not reciprocate that, but that's how I operate. So the last 51 years of my life has been taking care of my family.
0: Wow. And how do you stay close to them? Uh, Every day.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm up at 7 a.m. and by 8 o'clock, my phone is ringing. Uh I'm doing blogs. I'm doing workshops. I'm doing writing. I'm doing videos. I'm doing... uh, So that's how I do it.
0: That's What's the third question? Uh, the third question is, what do you think are the special, your special gifts that you would say your gay gifts are for the planet?
1: I, I stay away from that word special. Okay. Because it makes it sound as if superior. And mm. many times people, associate just with it as saying, my gift at different stages of my life was different. Yeah. But primarily the gift was, Wanting to live a larger life, needing to live a larger life. There are reasons why people like you and I leave Pocatello. (laughs) (laughs) We need to live a larger life. And it has to be a larger life that has an intellectual dimension to it, an emotional dimension to it, a spiritual dimension to it. And um, it involves, not because of my choosing, but what it shows me, it
0: involves work in the gay community. Well, that's just amazing. What advice do you have for people who want to start a revolution?
1: First of all, it's important that they be revolutionaries. Mm. Not everybody is a revolutionary. So revolutionary uh, implies that one sees that the structure of the culture that we're living in is destructive to the interest of ordinary people. So you have to have a certain consciousness. Um, Che Guevara didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a revolutionary. He took a motorcycle trip from Argentina through Latin America, up into Mexico, into the United States. And he saw the great suffering of people everywhere. Mm. And it motivated him to change that system, to devote his life to changing the system. So you have to understand what the system is. You have to understand that it's wrong. It needs to be changed. And then you do the work of joining with others who want to change it.
0: Wow. So again, it starts with knowing who I am first, doing some inner Everyone's work. What's guiding
1: you? You can't and be then, a, you can't be a phony. You can't fake it.
0: And then I need to know the truth about the world and the community that I want to start a revolution. Amen. In. Amen. That's fantastic. That's really as much time as we have uh, this time.
1: I'm very open to coming back and continuing oh my God. I dialogue with you. And you,
0: you know, I will definitely take you up on that. And I, I am still a little, um, I have a huge man crush on you, um, uh, Dr. Don Goffner. And I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the, the Girly Men podcast. Thank you for all the work you've done. And um, I really look forward to having you on again in the future.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Peace I, be with you.
0: And that, my friend, was Dr. Don Kel Hefner, another guest who has done and keeps doing amazing things for the gay men's community and the larger queer community in general. Let's heed his advice and know ourselves better so that we may serve our communities better. Until next time, this is Mike Gurley with the Gurley Men podcast, where we celebrate our greatness. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Now stay connected by subscribing to Girly Men Podcast and sharing with your friends on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Visit the webpage at girlymen.com, sign up for the newsletter, and find more details about each episode. Let's make this a conversation, because I'd really like to hear from you. Join us on Facebook at Girly Men. Submit your questions, suggest topics, or just chat with your brothers. Want to add your own two cents? Use the voice memo feature on your smartphone. Ask a question or say anything. We just might play it on the podcast. Email the file to mike at girlyman.com. Until next time.